I'm reflecting on uh, Verna's comment related to Auntie Mary as the big cheese. I've not thought about her that way previously, but I suppose that could be the reality for our day. Um, today, if you'll note, the um, sermon title says, uh, A Priest with the word me beside it. The me at that point is you and me. It's not talking about me as an individual. It's talking about everyone in this room to somewhat challenge us to reflect on what it means to be a priest, uh, what it is to have a relationship like that. Now, I don't know how you are, but for me, when I hear the word priest, I normally tend to think about Catholicism, um, maybe Anglican priest or some other, but the word priest has an idea. But yet that's not what the Scripture is talking about. The emphasis in the Bible when we talk about priest is usually referring to the Old Testament idea of a Jewish priest and how they they had certain responsibilities. Um, It usually presented the Hebrew priest as a very God-selected individual who serves offering sacrifices on behalf of his people. Now, I know we live in a different world than that today. We probably are quite insensitive toward... um, the word sin, quite honestly. And yet we look in the Old Testament and we see that for the Jewish people, there was a great awareness of God and a great awareness of their own position to Him and of sin. Indeed, in the Old Testament tabernacle and temple, that would be some of the places we might find a priest. But there were even places where priests were not allowed to go. In the Holy of Holies, Only the high priest could go there one time a year on the Day of Atonement. The priesthood uh, is a type of a storyboard for for what Christ would one day bring to a final rest with His uh, becoming the sacrificial priest for us all. The Old Testament priest played a role of mediator, uh, mediator between a sinful man and his holy God. Christ's death brought an end to the need for an Old Testament priest's work. In Matthew 27:51, there's the description when Christ was going through the most tormenting times of his life uh, that we hear and we can see in the scripture. It's, it describes the veil outside of the building where, functionally, at that point, it was torn in half basically presenting the idea that the old ways of having to be dependent on a priest to communicate and relate to God had been changed. This picture opened a new relationship with Christ's blood on the cross as it shows us a new high priest has been established once and for all. With Christ in His role, there were no more needs for a mediator or a priest. Now, the term priesthood of believer, I don't know how you are with this, but growing up as a Baptist, priesthood of the believer was always a very precious term to us. Um, It's a very uh, Protestant doctrine, emphasizing the fact that the old priesthood actions and responsibilities are past. It's a direct access that we have to God. And it's through prayer, Uh, without requiring any kind of a human mediator to communicate. And yet, 
I remember growing up and having friends who were Catholic and Anglican and various groups, and they would often talk about going to their priest and sharing and talking about their issues and then asking him to communicate for them to God. Indeed, that's where some of the Mariology, the idea of uh, depending on the saints to communicate to Christ. Because after all, in some of that thinking, basically the view was Christ is too busy, but I can go to a saint and the saint can communicate for me. You know, that is a very alien thought for the priest or the believer. It's a very alien thought for us in our understanding of the privilege we have of communicating relating to our Lord. The Scripture says, You also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices accountable to God through Jesus Christ. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, His own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. That's in 1 Peter 2. It's trying to remind us that being sensitive to and aware of our spiritual identity is something God expects of us, and it can be a positive thing. The reminder is, through a relationship with Christ, we have the ability to talk to the Creator God, which is a miracle. Through our sins, still, Christ relates to us. He still loves us and wants to have communication with us. As we look at Peter's letter, as we look at especially at 1 Peter, he is opening a new world of thought to the reader as he describes laymen being able to be a part of a holy priesthood. It was a very radical idea. This is a complete departure from their culture and the ideas and understanding of the Jewish people. It carried the reader to believe that slave or free didn't matter, male or female didn't matter, rich or poor, child or adult, Chinese or Punjabi, Japanese or Canadian, literate or illiterate, all could be equally in a position to communicate directly with God in the holy priesthood. This was then a very great threat to the priests of that day. We have to think about it from their perspective. From the Jewish leadership perspective, this mentality challenged all they were. These Jewish leaders that were in these positions suddenly were being challenged with the idea that anyone who knows Christ has a right and a responsibility to relate directly with God. I have many friends with many different backgrounds. Some of these are friends uh, that have very little education, never finished secondary school. And yet, my friends, because of their relationship with Jesus, are priests. You know, we live in a society where education, money, background, all kinds of things tend to kind of influence our thinking toward who positionally is where in the societal structure. But according to the Scripture, 
According to the concept of priesthood of the believer, the most important relationship we have will be our spiritual relationship with our Lord. And that relationship is available equally to all of us. My friends may not look like what we would normally think of a spiritual church leader because of their background or the clothes they wear or the way they act sometimes. I can still remember being in China one day with a man that I knew was a leader of one of their house church networks that was running around 1.5 million and we were sitting and we were in a room that had carpet and he spat on the carpet, but he put his foot on it and rubbed it out so it didn't count. You know, and I watched and I thought, whoa, this is really rough. No, he didn't look like a spiritual leader that day, but for me. But as we continued to talk, I heard his heart. And he shared about his burden for the lost and reaching out and impacting his people around the country, dreaming of how we could do more evangelism, how we could reach into the lives of those who are lost with the message of Jesus. A spiritual leader may not always match up to what you think one should be. James 5.16 says, The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. The prayers of a layman priest are not necessarily going to be ones that have words of great eloquence. They're not going to necessarily be a length that you would think is appropriate. And yet, according to Scripture, the prayers of a righteous man, speaking from his heart, speaking to his Lord, are precious to God. God welcomes our prayers, whether they are vocal or whether they are silent. He welcomes relationship with us. Indeed, in 1 Thessalonians 5, pray without ceasing is our challenge. Praying without ceasing doesn't mean you're walking around all the time going, Oh God, I hope you're going to be... Praying without ceasing is a walk, an intimacy with our Father. An awareness that He is guiding and directing and having fellowship with us. We should be having joy about that relationship. It's a miracle again. So what is our understanding, Old Testament understanding of a priest? What is a priest all about? We have to look at that and we think about Leviticus chapter 8. Now Leviticus chapter 8 is a lengthy scripture and we do have limits on how much we can read this morning. But I'm going to read some of it. If you take the time to look at Leviticus chapter 8, we can see Old Testament definition. The Lord said to Moses, Bring Aaron and his sons, their garments, their anointing oil, the bull for the sin offering, two rams, and a basket containing bread made without yeast, and gather the entire assembly at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Moses did as the Lord commanded him, and the assembly gathered at the entrance of the tent for meeting. Moses said to the assembly, This is what the Lord has commanded to be done. Then Moses brought Aaron and his sons forward and washed them with water. Uh, I'll skip a little bit here at this point. Go to verse 10. Then Moses took the anointing oil and anointed the tabernacle and everything in it and so consecrated them. He sprinkled some of the oil on the altar seven times, anointing the altar and all its utensils and the basin with its stand to consecrate them. He poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head and anointed him. 
to concentrate, consecrate him. Then he brought Aaron's son forward, uh, put tunics on them, tied sashes around them, and fastened the caps on them as the Lord had commanded Moses. He then presented the bull of sin for the sin offering, and Aaron and his son laid their hands on its head. Moses slaughtered the bull and took some of the blood with his finger and he put it on the horns of the altar to purify the altar. He poured the rest of the blood on the base of the altar, so he consecrated it to making atonement for it. The details in here for our day, if we were to do that in here, you would feel rather uncomfortable, I think we could truthfully say. Now remember, this was a this was a different approach, a different understanding. But in every way, blood represented giving all that they had. And so you have time. Read the whole of the scripture. It, uh, Leviticus chapter eight is very detailed on its ordination process, on its selection, on its blessing of these people as priests. And Moses was doing his job. Verse twenty-three: Moses slaughtered the ram. And he took some of the blood and put it on the lobe of Aaron's ear and the thumb of his right hand and on the big toe of his right foot. Now, we'll talk about that in just a moment, but it keeps going through and it gives various other descriptions. Verse 29, Moses also took... uh, No, no, verse 28. Then Moses took them from their hands and burned them on the altar to... Uh, to see on the altar on top of the burnt offerings uh, as an ordination or offering, a pleasing aroma, a food offering presented to the Lord. So there were several types of offerings that were being presented here via the bull and the rams and and the and the the other processing. Moses also took the breast, which was the share of the ordination ram, and waved it before the Lord as a wave offering, as the Lord commanded Moses. Then Moses took some of the anointing oil and some of the blood from the altar and sprinkled them on Aaron and on his garments and on the sons of, uh, on, on his sons and their garments. So he consecrated Aaron and his garments and his sons and their garments. Moses then said to Aaron and his son, cook the meat at the entrance to the temple of the meeting and eat it uh, there with the bread and the baskets of ordination of offerings as I was commanded. Aaron and his sons are to eat it. Then burned up the rest of the meat and the bread. Do not leave the entrance of the the tent of meeting for seven days. And it goes on. Take the time to read this scripture because it challenges us. But as we look at some of the elements of the hand of God in trying to choose these people. We go back and we see number one in verse chapter 8, verse 6, cleansing is the first thing we see. Cleansing. Cleansing with water by Moses of Aaron and his sons. They were cleansed with blood of the ram in verse in chapter 8, verse 2, uh, and for a sin offering. Now, to us, it sounds a little awkward, a little disgusting, less than desirable. But again, we don't live in nearly the sensitive world that he lived in, or these people lived in. Our insensitivity toward our spiritual walk is so much a reality today because of the society in which we live. In this particular story, as we read about Moses and Aaron and his son, 
All of it was done publicly in front of the Hebrew people. They came to observe, to be a part of it. This was worship for them as they saw these actions being done. In order to enter into the sanctuary, certainly we have to recognize that these priests had the right to enter, but even they recognized uh, that there was a need to always be clean. And so the Scripture teaches us this. I remember a number of years ago, I went to Japan to visit a friend of mine. And while I was there, we were able to visit an old classmate from university. And uh, we, we, we went to her home, and she uh, made a, um, a presentation of the Japanese tea ceremony. Wow, it took forever, it seemed like, probably an hour. And everything she did, including turning the... the um, uh, cups a certain direction and pouring the pouring the tea a certain way and then pouring it back out and then pouring it again and all of the processing felt like I was uh, back in uh, Hong Kong getting getting chujiao cha or something you know but it, they were she had all these little special meanings behind everything well if you look at Leviticus chapter eight that's the reason that the detailed description is there talking about the insides of the bull and what they did with the different parts of the animal and then the eating of the meat. All of it had to do with the acceptance of God's will by the people involved, by Aaron and his sons. We ask often for God's forgiveness of our sins. But we need to recognize that He does forgive and we are priests. This is the fact. But the question for us is what do we do with the position we have? You and I are priests. We may not be the most beautiful priest the world's ever known. We may not be the most successful priest the world has ever known. But it's not based on a position in the church that makes you a priest. It's based on our walk with Jesus. It's based on our salvation. And we are chosen people. And we should celebrate it. But that celebration means there's responsibility that comes as well. A question to ourselves might be, have we ever come to God without first cleansing ourselves? Daily we must cleanse ourselves. In the Scripture it talked about water and blood, just like the priests. Only the saved, only those who have accepted Christ, become a holy priesthood member. First thing, they cleansed themselves. The second thing these priests did, they were clothed. And the Scripture goes on and describes it in verse uh, chapter 8, verses up through verse 13. And it talks about the robes and the belt and everything looking just perfect the way that it needed to look. It was proper for that situation of worship. And from the clothing, first we do the cleansing, then we do the clothing. The next they were anointed. Aaron had holy oil poured on his head. Chapter 8, verse 12. Now, I know many of you wouldn't be too excited about having a lot of oil over your head. But that is their way of trying to remind themselves their position with God. One of the things we need to think about is what anointing even implies. When we are chosen, when we are doing God's work and we're sure He's leading it, that is to be anointed. If we preach without God's hand on our sermon, we are functioning in vain. 
if we teach without God's hand on our teaching, we're functioning in vain. If we pray without God's hand on our heart and our prayers, we function in vain. Whether things are popular or not is not our issue. We must have the Holy Spirit anointing us as priests. That means we must be walking with Jesus. Moses took some of the anointing oil and some of the blood from the sprinkled uh, and sprinkled them on Aaron in the garments. So he consecrated Aaron and his garments and his son's garments. Moses then said to Aaron and his sons, cook the meat at the entrance of the temple of meeting and eat it there with the bread and the basket of ordination offerings as I have commanded. Aaron and his sons are to eat it. This may sound a bit different as a special worship style of service for our day, but the symbolism communicated well to those people. We have to recognize when we gather together to worship, our worship may not look the same as every other church in town. Our worship may not look like what we find every time perfectly in Scripture, but it does need to be something that communicates with our Lord and with who we are as a people. So first we have the people, they were cleansed. Then they were clothed and prepared. They were anointed and they were consecrated. Moses took the blood of the animal and touched the priest, verse 24. He put it on the right ear, on the earlobe. And then on the right, he also put it on the right hand and then on the big toes. Sounds a little strange, but it was a way of communicating ideas that indeed... Holy, all that you are, is a priest. God has chosen you. He has selected you to serve Him. My brothers and my sisters, today, God has chosen you to be a Christian. It's not just you calling yourself a Christian because you chose God. He chose you. You are a selected priesthood. We have a responsibility Because God's hand is on us and He chose us. He expects us to be more than just the average Joe on the street. He expects much of us and He has a right to. He owns us. We've given ourselves to Him. Moses put blood on the altar to consecrate it, to make it holy. It has been suggested that the reference to blood on the ear was a challenge to the priest to always listen to God. Whether or not that is exactly the reason or not, the main thing we do recognize, the blood was intended to say, blood has to do with life and its completeness as it started here and it went down the body. I'd be reluctant to develop a whole theology based on this, even though you can find some authors that have different views on this and different opinions about it. As a, as a Christian, we believe that God chooses us to be His disciples and priests. What a privilege! The Christian priest is one who has chosen to realize that there are things we must limit ourselves to do and things we must limit ourselves not to do. It is a purification challenge. Are you pure? Am I pure? 
Do I each day evaluate myself? Do I challenge myself each day getting up saying, God, cleanse me this day. Clothe me this day. Anoint me. Consecrate me so that I can be your tool. That's the challenge. We, the opportunity is there, but if we're not prepared, if we don't get ourselves cleansed and prepared and ready each and every day, we're, we're, we're not even a, a worthy vessel to present, in, to present to our world. Consecration does not mean removal from society. It doesn't mean we have to disappear and run away in fear. It's a purification challenge. Whether we work as a teacher, a construction worker, a businessman, a university student, an auditor, policeman, painter, whatever it is, we are to be disciples. We are to be priests. Every day must be precious and holy as we live it. Compartmentalization in our thinking cannot be viewed as acceptable. We cannot have the religious part of who I am, the spiritual part of who I am, and then the one that goes out on the street every day. This one must influence that one. Our values are blended. If they're not, we're missing the boat. The reference of blood on the legs and the feet, which again you can see in Leviticus 8, in the, in the ordination of these is intended to show a willingness of the priest to give his whole body, energy, fully to God. We must find that that happens in our life. I remember in China going one time to a group of people and we were, we were, we were having a, a sending out of missionaries a time together. And this particular group had quite a few people together. As we got to a certain point, uh, I began to, to really ask questions about where people were going. There were no cars parked out front. We were in an area where dust and dirt was everywhere. But I didn't see the nice, comfortable life. I saw people who had been together for several weeks of training, preparing to go as missionaries two by two all over China. When it was over with, they jumped in the back of these nice little carts where basically you had a tractor up front pulling this little uh, kind of a, I don't know, a little trailer. And they would throw their one little bag in that they'd been carrying, all that they owned. They would throw it in and then they would get inside. And you'd have as many as 20 people sitting in these little carts as they would tootling away. And I knew they were taking them out, getting them near the train station and going to be letting them out for them to go literally all over the country, two by two. And I kept reflecting. Romans 10, verses 14 and 15. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. I was watching people with dusty shoes, old clothing, and very limited material resources. But I was watching beautiful feet. People who were willing to serve and willing to go wherever God wanted them to go. Today... We are called to be consecrated. God wants to do that with us. He wants to bless us. He wants to bless our feet because we are moving in serving Him. The believer in Christ is a royal priesthood. The priesthood of the believer is what distinguishes us from those who need a mediator, 
those different denominations that feel like they have to have a priest to communicate. I feel sorry for them. We know that our Lord wants to hear us. He wants to have fellowship with us. It's the reason that we even had a prayer this morning for these families, these children, is because God is listening. He knows you. He knows me. He knows if we are clean, if we are prepared, if we're anointed, if we're consecrated. My prayer for us today is that we would find joy in our role as priests. That we take advantage each and every day of following Him. Let's pray. Father God, we thank You for allowing us to come together this day. We thank You for allowing us to be reminded that our relationship with You is a holy relationship. It's a consecrated relationship. We ask that we would be worthy of serving You. In Jesus' name.